Money Dearest is a podcast series focusing on the issues surrounding elder abuse and is brought to you in association with 2SEIFM, the Sydney Community Foundation and the Perkins Family Foundation. Elder abuse is a widespread issue and it's estimated that at least one in ten older Australians are experiencing some type of elder abuse. This can be financial, psychological, physical, sexual or the result of intentional or unintentional neglect. Over 90% of perpetrators of elder abuse are members of the older person's family, usually an adult son or daughter. I'm Roderick Chambers and this episode of Money Dearest focuses on the misuse and abuse of a power of attorney. Alice Simpson, aged 92, lost her husband 12 years back, and initially her eldest son, Ed, had taken the lead in helping her look after her affairs. Five years ago, he'd had an emergency heart bypass, but did not survive the operation. Her other children, Colin and Beth, then had to step in to help Alice with her affairs. She had a will that included Ed, but had not thought about a power of attorney or guardianship. Her husband, Tony, had died quickly and they'd not needed to think about these documents. Around this time, Colin's marriage of 29 years ended and he decided to move in with his mother to help her. And also, as his home was being sold as part of an acrimonious divorce settlement, he needed somewhere to stay. Alice was needing more home care as with her advanced macular degeneration, her sight was very poor and she already had two hearing aids. She was also just getting more frail physically. Beth lives in the Lower Blue Mountains and so cannot get to her mother in Burwood as often as she would like. And while she got on well with her easygoing brother Ed, Colin was very much a Type A personality. Alice had had a fall and Colin thought that his mother really needed full-time care and that he also needed more control over her affairs. He arranged for both a guardianship and a power of attorney quickly without telling Beth, who only found out when she was trying to contact her mother to visit one weekend. Beth had been trying to get her mother on the phone and became a bit worried. She called her mother's neighbour, who said that she'd been taken to St Lucia's aged care facility. We joined Beth as her phone call was just put through to her mother's room. Hi, Mum. I had some trouble getting you at home, so I rang Irene downstairs and she said you were at St Lucia's Nursing Home in Haberfield. Is everything all right? Oh, Beth. Good to hear from you, darling. No, no, I'm fine. I'm just here for a bit, um, um, I had a fall on my bad leg, just near the bathroom door, and Colin is so busy. He thought it best if I were here for a bit, you know. Oh, Mum, I wish you could have called me. I could have come down. Oh, no, no, Beth. You've got grandchildren now. And it's all right. Colin says he can get everything organised so that the body corporate is paid up and I won't have to worry about the bills and so on. Well, I'll come down on Saturday and get your clothes sorted. Is it respite care that Colin's organised? Just this silly pink thing. 
I can't see whether it's half past one or half past two. <laughs> well, it's five to eleven now, so maybe it needs a new battery. But, Mum, what's Colin doing? He's been in to see Mr Tweedle at Tweedle and McLeish. The lawyers? But what for? Is that Mrs Simpson's daughter? Yes, my name is Beth Rossi. I Of course. Your mother has been talking about you. I'm Nadine, the RN for today. Would you have a list of all your mother's medication? She says she was taking something for her heart and something for thyroid. We are waiting for a fax from the doctor, but apparently she is out on an urgent call. Well, I thought the heart specialist had changed the heart medication. I can't remember what it's called. And um, there was something for osteoporosis, but there's a list in her bedroom. I'm in Springwood, so I can't tell you right away. But oh, don't worry, Mrs Rossi. We will call Mr Simpson. He's power of attorney. He is. When did this happen? Mr Simpson arranged everything last week and Mrs Simpson has been with us for three days now. Didn't you know? No, I mean I rang Mum on Monday but when she didn't answer I thought she might have been downstairs with her friend Irene or out in the garden and then today after I couldn't get her I called Irene and she said she'd been taken to St Lucia's. I'm just trying to work out what's been happening. Well, your mother's fine at the moment, Mrs Rossi. She had been a bit forgetful and had had a fall, so the doctor and Mr Simpson thought it best if she had full-time care. But you don't seem to be on the records here. It might be best if you had a chat with your brother. Yes, definitely, and I'll find out the medication list and give you a call back. Thanks, Mrs Rossi. Just call the front desk and ask for me. Okay, and please call me Beth. Of course, Beth. Bye-bye now. Kate Gould is a senior associate lawyer in estate planning with Hall and Wilcox and she explains exactly what a power of attorney is. A power of attorney is a document whereby the principal appoints an attorney to stand in their shoes and to manage their legal and financial affairs on their behalf. And it is a document that you can choose when it starts. It can basically start straight away once the principal hands over the power of attorney to the attorney. Or another common time when it would start is only if the principal loses mental capacity as evidenced by a medical practitioner. And we get on the top of the form sometimes enduring power of attorney. Can you explain the differences there? Of course. So an enduring power of attorney is a document that continues to be effective if the principal one day loses mental capacity. And there's a trick because sometimes there are old enduring powers of attorney but they're only called general power of attorney and this was legislation going back to about 2003 they were all called general powers of attorney but if you look very carefully and with legal advice you can actually see that in the document there is language to denote that it actually is an enduring power of attorney but in the context of of what we're discussing it's crucial that people have enduring powers of attorney because it's when you lose capacity that you actually need assistance in someone to help you manage your financial and legal affairs. Yes, because powers of attorney, you could you could give someone a power of attorney to to look after a unit that you uh, own when you're overseas. Correct. Uh, maybe you're overseas for six months or twelve months, and you want someone to look after it for you. So you can say, 
you, that's just for that purpose, isn't it? You that's don't have right. To. You can give general powers of attorney for a specific purpose and exactly that example you mentioned. It can be for a limited time or for a particular asset or only if the principal is out of the jurisdiction of Australia. Kate Gould, there's definitely a breakdown in communication here between Beth and Colin. It may be that as Alice had had a fall, Colin needed to move on things quickly and did not get around to calling his sister. Could Beth have been included in the power of attorney by their solicitor without her knowledge at this stage? She could have been. So generally, we advise our clients to please have a discussion with the people who they want to appoint as their attorneys and guardians and executors, etc. But who knows if that actually happens when people are busy, they just want to get a document prepared. But it could have been that the daughter has been appointed and the appointment of the daughter and the son is on a joint and several basis, which means either one or both can act. So that is a possibility. The other possibility is that Colin has been appointed as primary attorney, noting he's geographically quite closer, and the daughter has been appointed as the backup in case Colin is unable or unwilling to act. Should the solicitor have contacted Beth to let her know that he was drawing up a power of attorney for her mother? No, it should not have contacted the daughter, but the solicitor should have definitely made inquiries with the mother about who are the people in your family, who does it make sense to appoint as an attorney, would it be best to have maybe two of your children as a bit of a check and balance, or do you want to appoint Colin noting he lives locally? So that kind of conversation would have been had with the mother, and ultimately would have come down to the mother to decide who is most suitable to be her attorney. But just to be clear, you can appoint more than one. So it is quite plausible that she could have appointed both of them. Family relationships can be fraught at times. If Beth and Colin's relationship was not good, how could Beth find out about the arrangements her brother was making? Would she have been able to contact the solicitor, Mr Tweedle, independently? So generally the solicitor is subject to client privilege, so they will not relay a conversation they've had with their client. She can only talk to her mother. But she could have arranged for a meeting with her mother and the solicitor. Correct. That's right. And to ensure impartiality and also to avoid any allegation of undue influence, the solicitor really should be seeing the mother on her own. But maybe, I mean, it's very common for an older person to bring a support person, such as an adult child, along, and that might be fine at the introduction of the meeting and at the start. But as the meeting progresses, really that person should be asked to sit outside so that clear and independent instructions can be given by the client. It could be, though, that a son or daughter is emotional and concerned and don't leave the room or insist that they be there to help their mother and father. From what you're saying, it's a problem if they continue to be present. What could be the ramifications of this action? It could be a claim for undue influence. So on that basis, the document could be put aside as being invalid. Which means that the power of attorney is invalid and any decisions or transactions made under that supposed authority would also be invalid. It would have been better if there'd been more communication between Beth and Colin, but Beth was going to call Colin after she found out what had happened, and we joined Beth and Colin to hear how this phone conversation went. Hello, this is Colin. Hi, Colin. It's Beth. Oh, hi, Beth. Look, um, I'm just ringing about Mum. Apparently, she's been transferred to St. Lucia's. 
when did this happen? Oh, last week. Look, I had far too much on, and Mum was pestering the life out of me. You know Maria, the home care lady? She was off on holiday, and a new one had come in. Uh, Teresa, I think it was. Mum really didn't take to her. But why didn't you let me know? I mean, I could have come down. Ed always used to let me know what's happening. Well, Ed's gone now, and you're not around, so it's left to me to look after Mum. But don't worry, I've got it all organised. All what organised? What if you had Mum sign, Colin? There's a huge amount of paperwork that the aged care place wanted me to sign and Mum to sign, and so we had to get the lawyers involved. Well, they said at the home you were the power of attorney, and I had to check with you. Yeah, well, I have to do all the bills now, so I need the power of attorney to do all this stuff. You've got no idea what's involved, Beth. Well, I did help Ed when Dad was ill. I mean, I do have some idea of what has to be done. Well, it's done. Well, but I don't know if Mum's really needs to be in full-time care right now. I mean, she's been pretty well considering her medical issues. Oh, you know, you only see what you want to see, Beth. She's been pestering me. Dawn to dusk about anything from getting the post the minute it's delivered to getting birthday cards for all and sundry. Then I have to find the addresses half the time. It's driving me nuts. Oh, you know she fell over that mat that she insists on having in the hallway? And another thing, that, that kitchen was totally unworkable. The drawers keep getting stuck. So I'm getting the whole thing pulled out. What? Why? But how much is that going to cost? I mean, is mum paying for all of this? Yeah, it's her units. Anyway, it'll be much better for resale. Half the people in that block at Nosy Parkers will be better off shot at a lot of them. Colin, I really don't want you selling Mum's unit. And look, I, I want to see you when I come down on the weekend. All right. Um, it's a busy weekend for me. I'm going to be playing golf on Saturday. But you can come to the club for dinner if you'd like. Well, look, I'll come down and see Mum in the morning and then I'll pop into the unit to get some of her things as well. You don't need to. She has everything. Oh, you don't know what women want, Colin. Anyway, she always wants something else. All right. I'll leave a key with that woman downstairs. What's her name? Irene? Uh, she always seems to be lurking in the stairwell. Oh, don't worry. I've still got my keys. Um, I've had the locks changed, Beth. Mum was worried about security. <laughs> Have you now? Um, well, Colin, I'm worried about Mum. I'll see you on Saturday. Goodbye. <sighs> Goodbye, Beth. Kate Gould, it sounds like Colin is making improvements to his mother's unit, which sounds like he could be getting it ready for sale. Could he just go ahead and do all this? Well, I'd be first wanting to look at the power of attorney and see when it starts. So if the power of attorney only starts if the mother has lost mental capacity, well, then he really shouldn't be doing any of these things without her express consent. So I'd be wanting to know when the power of attorney starts, what her level of capacity is, and if it's fine, then she needs to be giving consent to these things before he can do these things on her behalf. It often can be confusing for people when they feel they know their mother's wishes from what she's told them is in her will. If Alice had told her children that her unit and other assets were going to be divided equally, and then Colin commences disposing of certain items, say he sells the unit... Could this be a problem if it's specifically mentioned in Alice's will? So in the situation where a person has specifically gifted an asset in their will and then it's later disposed of by the attorney, for example, in this situation, if Colin does renovate the house and then sell it, that gift of the house is a deemed and it fails. So it can really 
cause a problem with someone's estate planning in their will. There are some mechanisms to maybe be able to retrieve those assets, but what we tend to do is we in our powers of attorney, we include a clause that allows the attorney to have a copy of the will so they can see what's in it so they don't accidentally dispose of an asset that might be specifically given. People can be forced into making faster decisions because of circumstance and they could be not making the right decisions. Beth's been sidelined in this example from her point of view, but is this a result of the difficult relationship she has with Colin? Many cases aren't cut and dried, But do you think that perhaps Colin could be guilty of elder abuse? It does feel a bit like there could be an issue of elder abuse here, particularly in the circumstances where his mother was independent and had no problems and living at home. In order for Colin to be appointed as an attorney, his mother would have needed to instruct a solicitor to prepare a new power of attorney document for her, which nominated him as her attorney. And of course, we're not sure what her conversation was with her solicitor at the time she gave Colin, or possibly Colin Beth on joint and several basis, her power of attorney. There are also other factors to consider. And an important one is that a power of attorney is a state law. So it depends in which state you are in what the power of attorney can cover. Kate Gould, what are some of the state differences we should be considering? There are some states where it's very broad, where basically the language is such that anything that you could do yourself, your attorney can do on your behalf. But there are some exceptions in New South Wales. For example, if you want to make a gift, you can only do that if it's written into the power of attorney. If you want to benefit someone else other than yourself, that must be written into the power of attorney, otherwise it's invalid. So let me give you an example. So if the principal is in the habit of making charitable gifts or gifts when it comes to special occasions in the immediate family such as a birth or a wedding and they lose capacity but it's written into their power of attorney that they authorise the giving of gifts well then their attorney can use the principal's money to make gifts on behalf of the principal. They cannot do that unless that language is specifically in the document. Another instance of when an act needs to be written into a New South Wales power of attorney is where the principal allows the attorney to use the principal's money for their reasonable living and medical expenses. So for instance, in a couple situation, they generally would be quite comfortable with their spouse accessing their money to look after their reasonable living and and medical needs. That cannot occur unless that's specifically written into the document. And in other states, it's different in some way? In other states, it's different in many ways. So, for example, in Queensland, conflict transactions are only allowed if it's written into the document. So, for example, a conflict transaction might be um, nominating yourself as the beneficiary under a superannuation policy. That might be a conflict at first glance, but if it's a couple situation, for instance, and that complements their estate planning, well, that's a conflict that is actually allowable and makes sense in that context. So there are certain situations where there can be conflict transactions that certainly are not allowed, no matter what the situation, but in other states like Queensland, if it's written into the document and allowed, well, then that conflict is okay. If I have made a power of attorney here in Sydney and we move to the Gold Coast and we have to enact the the provisions in the power of attorney, 
which laws are we operating under? That's a really good question. So <laughs> as a starting point, there's general cross-recognition of powers of attorney so that if you made one while you were living in New South Wales and then you relocated to Queensland, it would be operational and effective in Queensland. Right, so it's 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 as as we had made it here Correct. in New South Wales. that's right. And, and what we understood when we were making it here in New South Wales. That's right. And, and it, that's the same in other states. That's right. Yeah. And sometimes it might be warranted just to update the powers of attorney and the guardianship documents to the state that the client has relocated to, just to make sure that everything is tidied up and in the best possible situation now that they've moved. If everything's updated and clear, then there can be little cause for disputation and then there are no delays when it's perhaps at a crucial moment and time is of the essence. Another factor that particularly legal practitioners need to be mindful of is the capacity of the individual in making a will or power of attorney or guardianship. Kate Gould, it can be a difficult decision and the stakes are high. How do you decide? The reality is that someone might have a good day and someone might not have a you know have the next day not so good. But as an estate planning lawyer, there are two things we would do in this scenario. Firstly, obtain evidence from the client's local GP or a geriatrician, if, if appropriate, that they have the mental capacity to understand a legal document and they understand legal affairs. The other thing that we do is apply a legal test called the capacity test in Banks and Goodfellow. And in that, we need to satisfy ourselves with respect to a will, that the client knows what it means to be making a will. They know what assets they possess and what they are leaving to others. They know who could make a claim on their estate and what moral obligation is owed to those people. And finally, that they're not affected by a mental disorder influencing the disposal of their assets. So if a client came to us who is elderly and frail and maybe displaying some capacity issues, we would be conducting a test, making a very thorough file note, going through these questions and answers. And if we are satisfied, then we, and we also obtain the medical evidence that they understand um, a legal document, then we would prepare documents. But if they didn't pass this test, unfortunately, we couldn't prepare these documents for them. And what happens then if, if someone can't actually make a power of attorney when they need to, what happens there? That's a great question. So that's exactly why the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal has been set up and it's an establishment where people can go and make an application to become someone's financial manager or someone's guardian if that particular person doesn't have capacity anymore to appoint those people formally. Yeah, so if Colin went to Mr Tweedle initially with uh, with Alice and, and Alice started rambling on and couldn't remember, you know, the, the day or couldn't remember people's names and that sort of thing and maybe Mr Tweedle goes, well, look, Colin, I don't think we can do this document and so Colin would then have to make an application to NCAT, would he? Correct, yeah. that's right. And would uh, Mr Tweedle help Colin in that regard or would Colin just do it by himself? That's a good question. So it's set up for such that anybody can make an application without the need of legal assistance, obviously to make the cost as simple and as low as possible for everyday people. So Colin could certainly make the application himself, but for difficult applications, NCAT will accept legal assistance. But I would say in Colin's situation, there's no need for a solicitor to get involved. And just getting back to where we left Beth in her dilemma, what would be the best steps for her to take now? 
if I was advising Beth, I'd be saying, have a conversation with your mother, understand what's going on from her point of view, have a conversation with your brother, understand what's going on from his point of view, and then have a family conversation, try and sort this out and work together, because ultimately you both need to cooperate to look after your mother and her best interests. It's always hard to talk about these issues with your parents, as it underlines the transience of our lives. But people need to remind themselves that this is for the comfort, the well-being, the peace of mind of the people that they care for most. Always get their opinion. As long as they have the capacity to provide an opinion, get their input. Their input is absolutely valid and probably of the utmost importance in this scenario. And from the viewpoint of the person who is making the will or giving the power of attorney, they need to think of it as a whole of family issue, don't they? You need to ask the questions, you know, do your children get on well? Can they cooperate? Can they work together? Will one person be offended if they're not included in the power of attorney document? Should you include both of them? Yeah, it's very much a family conversation as well as a legal conversation. Kate Gould, thanks for sharing your experience with us on powers of attorney and estate planning issues. Do you have some final advice? Do it early before memory issues and older age issues start to come into play. Everyone should have estate planning, not just the elderly. Everyone should have estate planning power of attorney wills in place. You've been listening to Money Dearest, a series podcast to help people navigate through the difficult period towards the end of life. We hope this session helps explain the issues of the abuse of powers of attorney and the ways to make them effective for the person whose capacity is failing. I was with Senior Associate Kate Gould, a lawyer specialising in estate planning with Hall and Wilcox. Music was composed by Cat Olchin and Poddington Bear. The actors were Vivian Wood, Daniel Ellison, Maria Mikalev and Yolanda Raguera. 2SCR produces this series with the support of the Sydney Community Foundation and the Perkins Family Foundation. Thanks for being with us. I'm Roderick Chambers, and we hope that you will listen to our next instalment of Money Dearest. <laughs>